You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We're back again, and Darren is going to take us into the world of 1970s through early 80s New York, and we are looking at the Torch Song Trilogy. I almost said the other one, so I've been all week I've been saying the Torchwood Trilogy, so be prepared, you know, for me to mess up a couple times, but it's going to be very interesting to talk about, and it's a... Very interesting film for starring Harvey Firestein, and it was my first time seeing it. And this man here, I don't know, was this your first time, Mr. Mike? Howdy! Uh, it was. It was my first time watching this movie, and uh, I'd heard about a, a lot about it, and I just oh, yeah. uh, hadn't got around to seeing it. So it was uh, fun to finally actually uh, get that done, get that out there, and it'll be fun to talk about. Very much so. It should be it should be very interesting. It's poignant still to this day in a lot of ways and ties into what's going on with a lot of society. So it should be an interesting conversation and Darren always makes it anything he joins in on more interesting. So it should be a ton of fun. And we have a special victim in the geek seat tonight. We're actually going to be talking to Justin Gray. So, you know, Justin's been on the show a few times promoting some work he's done, but this time Justin is going into the geek seat. Bum, bum, bum. So it should be a lot of fun this week. So it's got a big show for you. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. How are you guys doing? September is almost over already. God, that's weird to say. But yeah, September is already, you know, on its way out and it's almost, you know, the beginning of fall and you know that's starting tomorrow as of the time of this recording it's just craziness completely and you know summer almost felt like it was right just beginning and it just flew by but that's you know that's par for course most of the time so as we like to say it is you know just great that you guys are here. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Feedback at earthstation1.com is our email address. Please write us. We definitely would love to hear from us. We definitely would love to hear from you. And, you know, while you're at it, please leave five stars wherever you listen to the show, especially up on Apple. That's how people find us, and that's how people, you know, find out about the show or, you know, different ways they can join us and such. And it's pretty awesome stuff. And, of course, thank you, patrons. We have wonderful patrons out there. The patrons are going to be getting, by the time this show goes out, there's going to be a new episode of the ESO Board Silly podcast, where we talk about how we survived Dragon Con. And it's a lot of fun. And we have myself, Mike Gordon, Kevin Eldridge, and Mary Ogle returns to the show, which is really awesome. And we talk about um, Dragon Con and just the state of it and such. And if you do want to hear more about Dragon Con. Next week, there'll be a new episode of the Dragon Con report going live. So that's the final one for the season. So folks, check that out also. But thank you, patrons. We do appreciate you. And yes, you too can become a patron for the ESO Network for as little as a dollar a month. 
Yes, you too can become a patron of the ESO Network. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. doesn't get much more easy than that. Also, folks, let's say howdy to our friends at Tifosi Optics. Tifosi Optics is a great place to get sunglasses. Yes, summer's over, but it doesn't mean sunglass season is over. It gets it's sunny all throughout the year. Well, except for if you live in Seattle, you know, it just gets cloudier and cloudier as the year goes on. But you still need sunglasses to cut down on the glare. So check out our friends at Tifosi Optics. They've got great sunglasses. They got gamer glasses. They got blue light blocking glasses. They've got safety goggles. They got sports glasses. They even have safety shields. Not too bad. I know all you have to do is go to TifosiOptics.com, and while you're there, for 10% off, all you have to do is put the coupon code EarthStation1 into the coupon code, and yes, boom, you will get a 10% discount on your whole order. Just not one pair of glasses, your whole order. Pretty darn awesome. Check it out, TifosiOptics.com. And now we're here with friend of the show, Justin Gray, returning once again. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, welcome back to the station. And congratulations. Another successful Kickstarter so far. You've met the goal on your latest one for Spicy Pulp Comics. Yep, number six. Yep, I'm very excited. We're almost uh, tomorrow is the halfway mark, so there's to be two weeks left tomorrow. Yep, yep. And, uh, and- trying to get those fresh goals going. Right, right. And yeah, as we like to say to people um, and constantly remind people that just because you've met your goal doesn't mean it's over and you're done. Uh, If you want a copy of this book or any of the rewards, they are in limited supply. So you want to make sure you get your orders in, right? Yep. And it's, you know, anything that's overfunded essentially goes right back into the creative process. So I have multiple books going on and, and that's where that money goes. It goes right back into paying artists and um, printing and shipping and all those other things for other books as well. Yes, good to know, good to know. And and this has pretty much been your baby for the last few years. I mean, prior to this, you you worked for just about, I think, every major comic company that there is. Um, and and pretty, pretty you've close. been, yes. what's that? Pretty close. <laughs> there's, some, there's some I haven't gotten to yet, but I'm I'm hoping. Okay, so you're still, that's still a goal. um but uh with these uh, creator own projects that you've been able to do through kickstarter really must be completely rewarding to have that ability to be able to just be have the freedom to go out and tell the stories you want to tell it's it's that and it's a a lot more um being able to work with people being able to hire people and um having artists that are able to live their dream alongside my crazy dreams and having them contribute. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I've gone through a process of working with all kinds of different people from all over the planet. And, um, I've been very fortunate that they're all amazingly talented. They're very driven and we've had, you know, whatever success we've had has been as a result of all the work that everyone's put into it, which is a different kind of thing for me from just handing in a script and then letting the machinations of a corporate publisher handle everything until you get comps or whatever. Um, So that all of that is very rewarding. It's a lot more work for a lot less money, but it's a lot more rewarding. And I don't know, I don't know how many people want to do that, but I've been much happier over the last five years than I was maybe the, the two or three years prior to that. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is, is that, I mean, you are very hands-on. I mean, to the point where I think you're even um, 
you know, uh, packing and sending the, uh, the books off individually yourself. Uh, I mean, that, that is a lot of work. Um, yeah. And that's why I, I sometimes try and shy away from doing you know, five, six individual issues because then you're bagging and boarding thousands and thousands of comics. Right. Um, but I also like the fact that I'm doing it for the people that really want the book, as opposed to there's no automatic purchases. There's, there's a direct connection between people who say, I like what you do and I'm willing to support it. And me saying, I packed everything for you. And, you know, it, it comes with some cat hair sometimes or whatever other things that happen. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's, it, there's much more of a, um, I don't want to use the word craft, but it's just sort of, I love the fact that I'm interacting directly with people. I would love to be able to interact directly with retailers and then sort of increase that chain. Um, which I haven't been able to do yet, but I'm starting to make slight inroads on that because there's a lot of really great um, uh, retailers that are very dedicated to the indie scene. Um, so I've been making contact with them and it's, it's been rewarding on so many levels each step as I go through this process over the last five or six years of just doing stuff on my own with, with people um, that also want to get exposure and want to get paid and want to, you know, have their comics made and, and for everyone to see their artwork. And I, I, I find that very rewarding. And, 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 and now at a time where crowdfunding Kickstarter in particular um, allows us that sort of opportunity, whereas before it was pretty much seen, I think, I think Kickstarter was seen as more of a charity kind of uh, operation where, you know, I'm struggling. I need help. If people could just, you know, throw me a few bucks, I can help. You can help me like live my dream, you know? Um, but yep. it, now it seems to be more of a, a, a standard model really for people directly uh, being able to pre-order the books. Yeah. I mean, I, initially I was skeptical of it because I thought it was like that. And that's why I've kind of stayed away from certain other platforms. Um, but the reality is that things have shifted so much. And especially when obviously COVID impacted the industry on a huge level mm -hmm. that we're still sort of, you know, sifting through what the fallout on that is. Um, but again, it goes back to just being directly connected to people uh, without the other elements, you know, I mean, comics are a collaborative medium, but when you're also doing comics where you're protecting the IPs and there's a corporate structure to it, where, you know, you can't do certain things or say certain things because you don't want to disrupt the branding. And then you have, um, I'm getting overly complicated about this, but you have tiered levels of people inside that structure where they're used to old school, new school, middle school. And uh, it's very interesting to just go out and do what you have to do um, directly for the people that want to read the books. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's been, um, it's been very enlightening and very joyous to just kind of get back to making comics for fun because that's what I went into comics for. And I quickly learned that it's a business and it's an industry. And um, so these elements here, I, I feel like I get to mix sort of the business part of my mind and the having fun with the creative pool of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now as a storyteller, um, I mean, your history with the, with the major comics labels have, have been pretty varied. Um, and it's carried over to uh, your independent uh, Kickstarter work as well. As far as, you know, you've got your campy, fun, spicy pulp adventure. Uh, you're doing a very intense 
horror book with uh, Standstill, right? Um, and uh, some uh, some young reader mythology books as well. Um, how do you pick what stories to 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 sort of give get the green light to yourself? Because it's all really on you, right? Which whatever you're interested in doing. Um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, it, it, it's, it evolves from different things. It, it, um, for instance, like with Billy the Kit, uh, which is now being published by Blue Juice Comics and issue one is out October 6th in stores. And I think you can still pre-order, uh, through Diamond issue two. Nice. It was really a book that it was just fun. Like it was like, I'm just going to do something crazy and I don't really care who buys it or who reads it. And, um, I had been talking to Barry McLean, the artist, and it was just kind of like this thing where I don't have any expectations other than I'm just having a really enjoyable time doing the book. And then he started having an enjoyable time doing the book. And then people reading the book started having an enjoyable time. Um, so then I knew, I, I, I knew to follow my gut and certain instincts to, to get to a certain place. And then there's other things where you kind of look at the structure of the market and you say, well, I also have to keep the train rolling on this. I'm not necessarily rolling around in millions of dollars. It's just the idea of, I love to do this and I'm playing the long game on it. Uh, I'm believing more in myself than I did before, even though I had, you know, Marvel and DC and I was doing all that stuff. Um, I believed in myself, but it wasn't really, it, it never really felt like I was fully doing whatever it was that I felt I should be doing. And I know it probably sounds confusing, but um, what I do is now I, I follow my instinct. I had just, there's a book that we're working on right now. We're almost halfway through the first issue. Actually, we're a little more than halfway um, through the art of it. And I had rediscovered it. I was going through old emails and I saw this log line in there and I was like, where did this come from? And, and I, I read the log line and I was like, oh, the idea was great, but I was totally in the wrong state of mind to do that. But now I feel like, oh, I can turn that into something better than what I initially thought it was five years ago. And so I immediately felt like this is what I have to do. I want to get on this train. I have the other stuff lined up so I can go and, and say, how am I going to find the right artist for this? And it worked out that uh, Ruiz Ibarra and I were already we're doing Spicy Pulp 6 now. Mm -hmm. And he's the artist on the Lady Redbeard, Redbeard story. So I was like, what's our next thing? Because we really gel. And, and, and the same thing with Branko Jovanovic on Standstill. Like we really have this sort of synergy. And I said, how do we keep going with that? He's excited to work with me. I'm excited to work with him. And let's just keep going with that. So that's really all part of how those decisions are made. Um, sometimes there's a dog in there. Sometimes you're like, oh, this isn't working. So, you know, take it behind the woodshed and, and you know, put it out of my misery. Uh, but fortunately, you know, fortunately I've had... I've had enough instances where um, my instincts and I get a lot of affirmation from the artists when they, cause I, I immediately want the artists to say, I want to work on this. Right. But right. When they say they're excited, I'm excited even more. So that's really what matters uh, in the long run to me. Right. Cause I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's two really great feelings I found uh, with uh, doing the, the self-publishing comics. And one is, when you when you get the pages back from the artist and they far exceed anything that you could have like imagined and then secondly of course and maybe even more importantly is when the books when you actually hold the books in your hand and and get and open that box right from the printer i i think it's all of it i, I you know particularly because so much of doing it this way is not creative 
I'll be honest with you. It's really, it's really 80% the grind. Yes. But I'm the kind of person that likes the grind. I don't know whether that's just my blue collar background, working in service industry and restaurants. And, and, um, I really, um, I don't get bogged down by bagging and boarding a thousand comics while I'm doing it. Afterwards, mm-hmm. I'm exhausted. I'm like, what, why am, what is wrong with me? Um, <laughs> but the idea of like, it's all part of the process instead of feeling sort of disconnected from something. And you go back, for instance, when I have uh, scripts like this, I constantly go back into them and I say, all right, now I have four scripts written. How can I make the fourth script even better than the first script? And, and I have that freedom to do that, which I would never have right. when I had to get a six month outline and worry about whether or not Green Lantern was going to be used in something that I couldn't have. And then suddenly you have to pull a major component out of a book and figure out how to stop gap and fill that. And it always feels disingenuous and inorganic. And I think it damages the work overall. And then, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, you're, you're taking these jobs. And I, and I, I understand all the structure of that, but in the, at the end of the day, you're in the business of you because they don't come around and they don't go, Oh, you know, 70 year old Justin needs a gig and we're in health insurance and everything else. So at the end of the day, you're everything you do is building your own brand, whether you want to look at it that, that way or not. Right. And so. I think definitely, um, and I think you've created quite a number. I mean, you probably have a lot of, I don't know what the Venn diagram is, but I would imagine even though it's different material, you do get a lot of people that will support you like myself who are just like, I trust him. It's going to be a good story. You know, even if it's different, even if I'm not really sure about this material, I, I can at least trust the the creator behind this. Well, first of all, thank you for that, because that is a huge component of of not going insane with this whole process. <laughs> a lot of times you're in a vacuum, like I'm in my office, I'm writing for hours at a time. My wife is like, you know, you work really hard for no money. I'm like, I'm going to, it's going to work out. Thanks, son. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to know that you're connecting with people because that's the whole it's the whole driving force of it is that you want people to have a reaction to what you're doing and to enjoy it. And, um, it's just, it's, it's awesome that you said that. And I appreciate that. And, and at the end of the day, that's really what I'm striving for. And that's when everything with the Kickstarter. And I, I think if you ask anyone who interacts with me on Kickstarter, who backs the books that they see that I'm constantly, I'm there for them. Like if there's a mistake made because I make mistakes, it's a lot of time, it's just me. Um, so I immediately try and rectify that. Or if I see something on social media where someone's like, Oh, I'm not really sure about this thing. I try and reach out to them. I've actually uh, made friends with people who I saw posting on social media saying, I know these Kickstarters are all garbage and they never deliver. And I was like, no, 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 wait, it's not, it's not everyone that doesn't deliver, you know, and I feel compelled probably insanely. So, or most people would just blow it off and just like plow ahead and they have their, you know, much larger, fan bases or whatever, but I really consider the people that back my work and, and follow the stuff, the most important part of the end result is that I do that all because I want them to feel like it was in their time, whether it's time, money, whatever was invested wisely in whatever crazy thing I had going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the answers that you just uh, said that I really appreciate when I asked you about how you choose is I, I do see a lot of folks that are, are creators that are, seem to be customizing their projects based on what they think will get them a deal with like Netflix or something like that. Mm. Whereas mm. Um, 
Um, uh, I mean, look, your your stories, as interesting as they are, don't look like they're easily trans like targeted for that those markets. Um, sure. Whereas if they do happen, that's cool. But obviously, you take a lot of chance, especially with mature, uh, you know, mature material that uh, would not be an easy sell to Hollywood studios. I would think. No, and to be completely honest, I did that for I don't know I don't know how many years. I chased that carrot sure. hard. And I would rack with my some brain success. Back. You do have some deals, right? I mean, yes. you've had experience yes. with that, right? So, yes, I've had I've had more t- deals on the table than deals. And this is one of the reasons I love Jay Baruchel is that he made it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a random acts of violence took a long time to happen, and there were along the way there were a lot of things that were almost happening. Um, and so it's very difficult to sort of watch. Uh, deals go down in time. And I don't mean it difficult in terms of like, I, I, I love to see other creators succeed. I love to see them get their shows. I love to see that kind of success for them. I absolutely think they deserve it. I'm just saying that there's been so many instances where people have quote unquote blown smoke up my butt about stuff. And uh, you know, Oh, Sandra Bullock or this person dropping names everywhere. And I'm just like, I got to a point where I was like, it means nothing. Right. I could say that it just, you could say anything you want. It's like the internet. You can say anything you want. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. You can say, Oh, someone emailed me and said so-and-so about my work. So I fought back. Um, it doesn't mean anything. So I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to do me. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what makes the people who support me happy. And I'm not going to worry about whether or not it translates to film or it, because, you know, I, I would love to do something that it would take, 40 years for the technology to catch up to, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't think I even have that in me, but <laughs> I prefer that idea of comics where it takes a long time for the technology to come to compete with the human imagination. And that's what I would like, you know, that's my focus now. It's not, it's not the log line. It's not the hook. It's not the easily digestible premise or the tentpole movie thing. Um, if it happens, it happens. If not, I, I would rather just be happy with the product that I, that I put together. And it shows your primary concern is making a first and foremost is making a good comic, uh, using yes. the medium as best as you can and then having fun with it. And I think that's the, that's the important thing, at least as far as I'm concerned when I'm looking at stuff. So, so that is much appreciated. Um, now that we found out a little bit about your process and everything, I think it's time to find out where your passions lie. Mike, I think he's ready for the, the geek seat. Uh, you always uh, say that you think he's ready, you know. Well, I like to give them a ready, false you know? sense of you know, flames from now on. <laughs> comfort. <laughs> You know, he was worried before we started recording, you know, if, if he's even going to pass. And, you know, we still have people living in, you know, geek seat hell. So it's okay, you know, you know, and right. or infamy, you know, it's it's almost like <laughs> being on something like, wait, wait, don't tell me and getting all the questions wrong or something, you know. <laughs> So it's it's it'll be fun to see what happens with you, Justin. Well, I mean, I saw them and I was like, I can't look at these questions because then I'm going to spend the next 48 hours <laughs> overthinking every question and trying to like sound cool when I'm not cool about something or research something that I don't know anything about. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to die on the flames and that'll be what it is. Uh, well, let's take your shot at it and see, you know, who lives, who dies. Will universes, <laughs> you know, survive? <laughs> All right, Justin. Uh, what if? No, I'm kidding. That's no, exactly. <laughs> no, 
You can call me the Watcher. It's okay. No. <laughs> but then, you know, then I'll get arrested for warriorism. So I don't want that either. So it's okay. All yeah, right. I, I like where you're going with that. But oh, go I ahead. figured. What was your favorite geek out <laughs> moment? Like, there's so many of them. Um, a lot of television stuff, a lot of film stuff. Um, the most recent thing was I got really hyped for Dune because I've been dying for them to do it right. Even though I'm like the worst person. Like, I've seen it a million times. I've read all of the main Dune books. I haven't read all of his son's work. Um, but I love those books and I've read them over and I even love the David Lynch movie. And I got the reason why I'm not on Facebook anymore is because I made a joke about Sting and um, got banned for three days. And I was like, I don't need this aggravation. Um, so like things like that, I mean, things like when I think about it, geeking out moments, I think about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is something like mostly I think about sharing stuff with people because I don't really get to do that in my world. I don't really have a tight knit. Um, geek family I have people outside there I was like what do you do is that are you, are you drawing Batman I'm like no I'm not drawing Batman I'm writing and and that's been sort of the steady course for the whole thing so when I geek about things that are within the, the geek realm um, it, usually it's more exciting to me when somebody else gets it um, so th- those are things like not I love sure. out on that all the time I was really excited uh, to see to see dune and and hope that it was you know i, I have to shut off all the other internet chatter that goes on with that um, so I hope i'm that actually answers. looking forward to the new one it looks yeah. beautiful yeah it truly does what was your most disappointing geek out moment when i realized that comics were a business and not oh, just I'm a sure. party i mean it was very I, I was so naive it's like it's embarrassing for me to even look at it this way i was kind of like I just thought I was going to walk into the bullpen at Marvel and it was going to be all these people that I had sort of grown up with and seen in caricature drawings and, and read about and sort of, you know, idolized. And, and it just wasn't that it was just, it was just an office, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you would see someone don't you know, Chris Claremont would walk by and stick his hand and take into my fries and grab a handful of French fries and walk off. And I was like, okay, I guess that's comics, you know? So and, you know, and I would go to parties and I'd be all excited at parties and I'd be like the annoying guy who was asking too many questions when everyone else just wanted a beer and decompress. And I was like, I quickly had to realize that it wasn't, it wasn't. And, and I think a lot of fans go through that, whether it's at a convention, you know, the after hours at the bar or whatever, and they talk to people and they're exhausted and they've been talking for 12 hours a day. I think I quickly had to re-pivot and say, oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's not it is a business and you find the joy within that in different ways. No, totally understand that completely. It blew my mind. You know, my whole life I wanted to be a comic book artist. I want to be a comic book artist. Then at, right. you know, at the age 13, my uncle took me on a tour of DC comics when it was at the, when they were at six sixty six fifth Avenue. And wow. I was, I geeked out for being there. I got, you know, I saw, you know, folks working on the comics, on the covers and stuff. You know, I got I got to see them, you know, the f- months before everyone else did. I got to see what the new Lex Luthor or Brainiac was going to look like from that Action Comics back then. Right. You know, and but to find out to the art desk and then Exactly, they were chained <laughs> to the desks and you know, and you know, 
and then you saw all the offices and the people in suits and everything. And it's like, oh, okay. So they don't have somebody modeling and dressed up as Superman running around the office. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely more Daily Planet than Stan's soapbox, for yeah. sure. <laughs> totally understand that. I know old school on that one. No, that is awesome. We get it, though. <laughs> what geeks you out the most? Um, when people enjoy what I do, when I have, when I spend so much time by myself, which is probably unhealthy and then just living in this fantasy world and agonizing over character development and balloon placement and, and story beats and page turns. Um, and then to see it, like it all come into place for someone else and it's magic to them because it's always, I have, like I said, I have so many friends that aren't in this circle that when they watch something, they watch it with virgin eyes. They're like, oh, how did that happen? You know, and they see all these elements of these things, you know, and they watch these Marvel movies with stories that are 30, 40 years old, and they're just blown away by them. And I can't turn that part of my brain off. I can't say, I can't just go into fan mode all the time. I'm always breaking things down as the writer or, the, or you know, decom- decompressing. And, and it's nice when I see that happen for other people, where I see I did something and they don't see any of the strings on the enterprises. It's going across this really terrible starry sky. Um, so that's always, that always geeks me out. Oh, sure. Totally makes sense. But what turns your geek off? <laughs> um, pretty much everything to do with the internet. Um, <laughs> the, the, oh, thanks. No, <laughs> I, no I mean like uh, tonight and uh, I saw something online and someone was criticizing Minara. And they're like, if you ever feel bad about yourself, and I don't even want to give these people oxygen. Like, I can't stand when I see that. I'm like, why are you giving people, whether it's politicians that are out of their minds or people who are just basically their whole thing is to try and monetize their opinion and be controversial and whatever. Um, but the idea was that, you know, oh, you should criticize this person because you don't like the way at 80 something years old, they draw your beloved character who's part of a franchise that couldn't care less about you as an individual reader, um, when I see them not understanding the history and, and the effort and realizing that like there was a time when this was acceptable, it's not acceptable anymore, according to whatever it is. Um, but, you know, Menard did erotic art in the 70s and the early 80s, and there was a time and a place for that. And you can't just say, oh, look at this garbage, or, it, you know, it objectifies. I'm like, everything objectifies. And John Buscema's Conan was, no one could live up to that, except, you know, I mean, we had to have steroids in the eighties in order for people to start having comic book bodies. That's not realistic, but I wasn't like going to tear the world down because I was upset that I couldn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I didn't want to put in 45 hours a day lifting weights and, and eating healthy and all that stuff. Um, so that when that's what bothers me, like just, you don't have to tear something down that existed in the past just to make room for your vision of what today is and whether it's comics or it's film or whatever else it is. Um, that's what that that's it for right now for today, but tomorrow I could be mad about something else. Cause that's to- totally fair. <laughs> no, to- totally understand that because you know, what can be, like you said, what could be pleasant everyday stuff in the seventies, sixties, and such is now considered, oh, 
I can't believe you looked at that. That's like porn or whatever. Look at, you know, well, they kept calling it porn. I'm like, there's a difference between porn and erotica. There was a whole movement oh, yeah. of European art that was geared towards that. And it wasn't trashy and tawdry. You know, it wasn't VHS 80s porn that, you know, like whatever it is that's in their minds now, 40 years later, is not the same thing as it was. So it's easy to just poke fun at something and say, look at those crazy flapper girls, you know, like what are those oh. swim caps on? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Look at stuff like R. Crumb or something like that, you know, yep. and, you know, compared, you know, to some of the stuff that's out there now, it's very tame. And it's just so it's just pretty amazing. I like to laugh at stuff like that, too, because I remember right when um, Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth first debuted at Vertigo, mm-hmm. I was on I was looking at something and some person's YouTube video popped up and they said incredibly derogatory things that I'm not even going to mention. Um, but I would laugh. I, I would tell Jeff, I'm like, oh, you know, they said that this is this, you know, and then Sweet Tooth is on Netflix. And it, I loved the book. And it's like, it, again, it goes back to this idea that your opinion equals money for some reason. And sure. just to be hateful or snarky or Perez Hilton or whatever, like there's that whole subgenre of every kind of entertainment medium where there's someone who's like, I'm going to make money by being an, a jerk. And I don't have any place for that in my head. No, not at all. Completely agree with that. What fictional character would you want to meet the most? That's a good question. I've always thought so. We've been doing it for 10 years. (laughs) Well, there's several of them because I feel like, again, you know, you guys see how I do different kinds of books where they're completely different genres, completely different styles. But, you know, obviously I would want to meet Superman because I would want Superman to reaffirm my faith in humanity because I would want to see things through his eyes. But I'd also like to meet Gurney Halleck and, you know, play the lute, drink some beers and use slow motion knives to spar each other. I don't It's There's all kinds of stuff that, you know, I mean, I'd like to, you know, being Captain Kirk's wingman one night in 1965, maybe that would be fun to me. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Just don't do the wrong lean ale. You'll be okay. No, no. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think I can hold some of those ales, but maybe not the wrong one. Okay. <laughs> Which fictional character would you not like to meet? I not like to meet. Huh. Yeah, like you immediately assume a villain, but no, I can't. I can't. Who would I not want to meet? It's more like real people I wouldn't want to meet. <laughs> it could be a, it could be a real person. That's fine. There's a lot of, there's a lot of real people I wouldn't want to meet. Um, but uh, what fictional character would I not want to meet? Probably someone who I'm trying to think of someone who just annoys the hell out of me, and I can't think of it right now. But I'm sure there's definitely. I, I try and stay optimistic and find the, some kind of positive in every character. But uh, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of um, That's a fictional. Okay. Character. That's totally um, cool, dude. Not a problem there. Because meeting a fictional character in any form would probably be amazing. True. <laughs> Very true. Well, you know, if you met the Joker, I think that would be the last thing you would do anyway. Possibly. <laughs> yes. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? See, this is where I'm starting to fall down on the job. <laughs> geek. I guess yeah. Excelsior. Okay. Always a classic. Always a classic. Still brings a tear to my eye. So. Yeah. 
And New York has all the license plates now where they all say Excelsior. I'm like, really? Like, I just want a little Stan Lee head at the back of the license plate, too, with that broom mustache and the glasses. Yeah, right. <laughs> God bless him. That would be cool if they did, like, a caricature outline of him on the license exactly, plate. Exactly, right? On the license plate. Excelsior. That would be Don't awesome. That would be... I, would, I would move to New York just so I could get a plate like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send a Hulk after you. Mm-hmm. What is your ideal geek occupation? Um, that's it. Writing comics is like, I mean, I got, I, it's not even a geek thing anymore. That's one of the things I was thinking about when you gave me that list. I'm like, it's not geek anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so mainstream and everyone's kind of like, it's a thing now where it didn't used to be a thing. It was an embarrassing thing. It was a hide your comics from your girlfriend thing. And it's not like that anymore. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's changed. No, agreed. No, I could not totally understand it. And it's almost become, you know, very respectable. Oh, you read comics? Which one do you read? You know, people in the office right. are talking about that now. Used to be they'd be talking about sports. Now they're talking about comics and stuff like that. But one of the things I wanted to do at DC that never got approved or whatever is I wanted a generation of characters that that modeled themselves after the merchandise of actual DC heroes. So they would be wearing all these things, but they would be normal teenagers. And every once in a while they would do something stupid, but they would be like, I love Catwoman. So I'm, you know, constantly geeking about, you know, they have Catwoman stuff on all the time. And I thought that was an interesting angle that no one would ever do, which they didn't. But right. I, I thought it'd be interesting if, if you took, if you sort of meta that aspect of it and said the way pop culture gets consumed by everything, why don't you have a next generation of superheroes who either couldn't care less and are so bored with the old superheroes the way that every younger generation couldn't care less about, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival is boring and whatever. Um, I don't even know why I use that as an example. I was just reaching back. Um, but, you know, like the, those things are passe, but of course, you know, they want their characters relevant, you know, and I was doing stuff like making fun of the costumes and I used to get notes all the time or chastise about you never make fun of the costumes and I'm like oh James Gunn does it all the time now and everyone thinks it's funny but yeah it's true it's yep. really really true what geek occupation would you not like to do I would not like to be an editor in chief of a major comics company just oh. like I wouldn't like to be the head coach of a football team. It's just like everybody hates you when it's going badly. Mm-hmm. And everyone pretends to love you and they're waiting for you to fail when you're doing well. So, Exactly. You're, or as they say on Ted, on Ted Lasso, wanker, wanker. <laughs> Which won some awards last night. Yes, it did. I was very happy to see that. All right, Justin, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? No, but yes. So far, you're doing okay. You got a 90% so far. You're doing okay. (laughs) You're still passing. Justin, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? It's it's hard for me not to go into an odd place when you say ultimate fantasy. Oh, um, I, I kind of figured we've had that on the show before. Yeah, sure. Um, One time we'll I, tell you what Virginia Hay said. You know, she was. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I never really thought about an ultimate geek fantasy. Um, I mean, I would like to, I would like to have gone to like a monolith movie premiere or I would like to have, um, I would like to have been able to do some direction on the Jonah Hex movie. Like I, I, that's one of the things I noticed like sitting around um, like a stage or, or, or a movie set. I always felt very comfortable wanting to jump in and give direction for some reason. I have no idea. Like I have no, there's no reason why I should even be saying that or doing that, but I would watch, you know, we, uh, we were on the set of painkiller Jane, the TV show with Kristana Loken uh, one time and I was talking to one of the actors on there. I was like, no, no, you got to do it like this. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> like, I have no place saying that. Um, but I kind of, I, I kind of like working with actors, even though I've never officially done it. It's just kind of like I watched it happen and, and, and things like cinematography. I like the creative process process with multiple people i think that to me that's like a very exciting geeky thing where you can actually interact and create something that's not just me sitting in a room going oh god i hope people like this and and rewriting things over and over again it's interesting to see things come to life with actual human beings speaking your dialogue oh Um, sure so that me you know that that to me was an interesting thing that i wish maybe i should i wish i would have discovered that sooner because I probably would have gravitated towards that educationally um, instead of being so introverted and, and, you know, stuck in my head telling stories all the time. Cause I never realized I never had that opportunity before. So when it popped up, I was kind of like, when you're too dumb to know better and you just say stuff that, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to give you some direction. <laughs> like they were very nice. Everyone's nice. I love Kristana. She's great. And, um, she was always very sweet to me, except for the one time she yelled at me. Um, but otherwise, you know, dealing with de- dealing with that situation, it was so alien to me, but it was so nice to see things physically happen in the world that it started in my head. Um, so that part. I mean, that was Jimmy's thing. Um, I was just sort of like, again, overstepping my bounds and being excited like a little kid about that kind of thing. No, totally makes sense, dude. Well, Justin, I've got some great news for you, my friend. Yes. You've made it through the geek seat. You passed. Congratulations. <laughs> Huzzah. Huzzah. Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth $84.06. I like it. It also means I probably won't wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning going, Jesus, what did I say on that podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> But uh, no, we appreciate we appreciate you being here. Um, we have got a definite. We're going to have a link in our show notes uh, to, of course, starter that's currently going on for Spicy Pulp Comics um, issue six. Is that right? That's right. It is the uh, second half of what started in issue five. Like what I like to do is I like to tell a thirty-page front story and then uh, tell smaller stories in it. So the issue five has the first half of Lady Redbeard in space called doing time where she gets uh on the on the bad side of the emperor of space and gets thrown into space jail and has to escape and there's some really wacky characters that i throw in there that i had a lot of fun writing um so then that's the conclusion of that because i like things to be wrapped up uh quickly with a lot of content as opposed to dragging something out for six months in little tiny snippets 
Um, so if you, if you read five, then this is going to be the end of that story for you. And there's two self-contained stories in there, including uh, a character called Strawberry Milk, which was this stupid idea I had. And what if Strawberry Shortcake and Lobo had a kid? And then, oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No. And that's just kind of like, that's what I, sometimes it's like, that's fun to me. Like comics are supposed to be fun to a certain yeah. point. I know I keep banging that drum, but I'm like, here's a crazy idea. Let's see if people like it. So, <laughs> um, and the art on that is Antonio Brandao and Sean Forney is the colorist. Those guys are great. Uh, and uh, Lady Red Bear is Rui Silveira and uh, Thiago Brandao. Uh, my Brazilians are representing. And um, I, I hope people um, check out the Kickstarter because it's a lot of fun. You, you'll definitely forget about life for at least, 20 minutes when you read these books that's even better <laughs> absolutely and absolutely like i said we'll have a link in our show notes and uh, i think when people by the time this episode comes out they'll have a little over a week to participate in this one uh but of course if you want to keep up with everything that justin's up to go to his website or um since your online presence is kind of we'll say spotty at best <laughs> um i definitely encourage people to check out uh subscribe to your um newsletter which is how i learned to stop worrying and love comics which i think says it all right there so uh, you can keep up with uh your what you're doing there yeah and it's on the twitter page because i use the twitter software it's free i'm not monetizing my dumb thoughts except in printed or digital format for comics absolutely, so, you absolutely. Know, so, and you get a bunch of insight into the backstory and and you get a lot of previews of stuff that's coming up and you'll get alerted because i don't know i mean i have a lot of stuff going on in kickstarter but i don't know that all those updates and all those emails reach all the people it needs to reach because i've definitely been three campaigns down the road and had someone say what happened to the other three campaigns um you know which is a killer for for those of us who are you know doing it this way absolutely yeah it is crazy <laughs> absolutely crazy well yeah. thank you so much for joining us uh i appreciate it um i admire your work as a storyteller and as a independent publisher as well um man i i appreciate everything you do so thanks for for joining us and uh we'll talk to you again soon all right great thank you thanks justin let's take a quick break and we are going to be back with the and I'm going to say Torchwood Trilo Trilogy. I knew it! <laughs> we'll be back in a moment with Torch Song Trilogy. Don't sing if you want to live long They have no use for your song You're dead, you're dead, you're dead You're dead and out of this world You'll never get a second chance Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. It is a big week for Star Wars fans as there is a new Star Wars series coming to Disney+. Plus. I have to laugh that about a year ago I was thinking about taking a break from Disney+, Plus just because I felt like there wasn't necessarily a lot of new content that I was watching. And then now, here this year, it feels like there's a new Star Wars or Marvel show coming out every month. This one is definitely different than anything else we've seen from Star Wars before. That Lucasfilm went to anime studios and asked them to create original stories in Star Wars, but with an anime style. Now, personally, anime is not really a fandom that I'm 
into and I haven't really connected with that type of storytelling in the past. But regardless of how I ultimately feel about this project, Star Wars Visions, ultimately, I think it's really important for franchises to give creators free reign to try a lot of different styles. Not every project has to speak to every fan. Sometimes you have to do something bold, daring, to push the franchise forward. And I think it's great that they're having these standalone stories doing something totally different that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. So I'm willing to check it out. And again, like I said, even if it doesn't end up speaking to me personally, I still think it's very much worthwhile. And I hope we see more outside the box storytelling on Disney Plus in years to come. And that's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. Recently, I did an article about what Star Wars episodes I would like to see if Disney Plus were to do a what-if style series set in our favorite galaxy far, far away. There are a lot of great podcasts that review Doctor Who episodes in order. The Earth Station Who podcast is not one of them. Just like the Doctor, we never know where or when we'll end up, but we'll have a lot of fun talking about it. From classic Who to new series and big finish, join the Earth Station Who crew wherever fine podcasts are found. Earth Station Who is a founding member of the ESO Network. Can you use a couple of bucks, Arnold? Just till you're on your feet. I'm on my feet, Daddy. Yeah, in six-inch heels. You go to see the beautiful day. With a voice and a face like this, I got nothing to worry about. I can always drive a cab. Who likes the words and music? If I had ever opened a mouth to my mother the way you did to me, you'd be talking to a woman with a size six wedgie sticking out of her forehead. Who is the handsome hero? You gonna come out of there? You want me to break the door down? Some villain always frames. If I have to accept you going out, then you have to accept that I'm not. You're the one who wanted this weekend. You're the one who wanted to know. Just because I said that's what I wanted doesn't mean that's what I wanted. Wake up, Maggie. I think I got something to say to you. Hardware, software, I can never remember which is which. It's late September and I really should be back at school. With computers, the software goes into the hardware, and with people, my, the hardware my, my, goes... uh, All this good food has just done me in. You were terrific. You know, I hope you don't mind me saying so, but I think that I prefer you in men's clothes. Yes! You might meet a nice girl someday. You never know. Believe me, Ma. I know. A special song for a special couple. For Arnold, with all the love in my soul. From Ellen. Alan, idiot. Alan. Somewhere so... Start this all over again now. Because it's not fair to put all the blame on me. You cheated me out of your life and then blamed me for not being there. There's nothing I need from anyone except for love and respect. And anyone who can't give me those two things has no place in my life. Oh, Alice, fake it again. You got an unusual way of looking at things. I think it runs in the family. Torch Song Trilogy. It's not just about some people, it's about everyone.
Hey there, welcome back to Earth Station One. Darren is here, and we are going to be talking all about the Torch Song trilogy. Hello, darlings. How are you? I almost did it like that, darling. You know, are you, are do you we, good do we all today? talk like this during the episode? I don't think we all should because this is going to get really grating really quick. But ma, I want to ma, for, ma. Ma, for us and the listeners. <laughs> you know it. So, Torch Song trilogy. Oh my God, we're we're finally to a, a movie about actual realized gay and bisexual characters um, living a real life. Um, where uh, <laughs> real life happens to them. It's actually a drama, not quote-unquote a comedy, although it's funny in places for sure. Um, it's funny because was... it's listed on HBO as a comedy drama. Y- yeah, I guess. I didn't see it that a, way, though. A dramedy? Uh, uh, comeda? I don't, I don't know what you could call it. I would, I would say it's more of a drama than a comedy. Definitely. Now, this, this uh, movie uh, is originally a play. Uh, written by Harvey Firestein and performed at La Mama in New York in uh, the 1980s. And it was a three-parter play uh, called The International Stud Bar, um, uh, A Fugue in a Nursery, and Widows and, Ch- and, um, Widows and Children First was the third part. <laughs> and in this, in this play, it was basically uh, a three-part, and it was um, – bookended by a torch singer which is where you get torch song trilogy and um it features arnold beckoff uh, um who was not played by harvey firestein in the original it was played by a different actor hmm. uh, harvey wrote it um but he did not star in it until the movie came out um and it featured a lively cast um ed the uh bisexual <laughs> Lauren, the uh, straight girlfriend of Ed, who kind of knows things are going on, but not really knows what's going on. Uh, Alan, who was played, um, I forget originally by who, but Matthew Broderick plays him in the movie. And Matthew Broderick played David in the play when it was on Broadway. And that was his big first break on Broadway was playing um, David. All right. That makes sense. Because I was wondering, because when Mike and I were talking before this, he mm-hmm. was saying Matthew Broderick was in the play, and I was like, "Wasn't he pretty young?" Yeah, <laughs> like he was. <laughs> and so it's like to, for him to play, you know, the role he played in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, "No." But now that you said he was David, that totally mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, he. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was two years after Ferris Bueller, and then the year after this, he did Biloxi Blues, I think, as a movie, mm-hmm. um, which was a Neil Simon play. Yeah, so actually, uh, he he got that, really busy. That was the uh, well, it was released the same year. Um, mm-hmm. Box of Blues was released the same year as Torch Song Trilogy, which is why, in my head, I get them a little confused because Box of Blues is also a blues is part of a trilogy written by Neil Simon. It's Neil called the Gene mm-hmm. Trilogy. Yep. It's got nothing whatever to do with <laughs> nothing <laughs> the same thing. But um, <laughs> and 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 uh, Matthew Broderick's not in all three of the movies. Um, and I don't. I think it's a very loose trilogy because it uh, is. I it's think very there's loose. two movies and they're played by like the main characters are played by different people. And then their third one was a TV movie and uh, whatever. Um, but in any case. The fact that, you know, Matthew Broderick trilogy, late 80s, uh, I just associated the two um, together. And, and you know, um, you were saying that this movie is uh, not really a comedy. And yet I would kind of uh, put it in the same style and tone as a Neil Simon or a Woody Allen movie. 
So, oh yeah, so oh yeah, I could see that. There's definitely like comedic elements and very much mm-hmm. New York. Oh yeah, make, like it's very New York. Oh, yes. all very over. Much. This has Manhattan just bleeding out of this movie. Yeah. So, so again, I can see the association there. But um, and and I know we're going to talk about Harvey a lot, but I do have to say, since we mentioned him already, um, you know, I have mixed feelings about Matthew Broderick as an actor and as a person. But watching this movie and in and finding out like that he was in the original play in 1981. Um, before he really got going as, you know, in the war mm-hmm. games and the movie stuff and all that kind of stuff. I have to say that Matthew Broderick is at least um, um, not your, I have to appreciate his choices uh, because especially um, even starting out and then later on when he's on the brink of like superstardom to do a movie like this is, is a risk, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Totally um, a risk. So, I, you know, I, I give him a lot of props for still being involved with this kind of material because mm-hmm. it probably wasn't is I doubt his agents were, were really behind him doing it. Pro- probably not, but I mean, <laughs> he was, he was a John Hughes poster boy for crying out loud. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knew him as Ferris Bueller yep. in, in um, the zeitgeist. And up Torch Song trilogy had a limited release. It was only an art house release. It didn't go to every theater. Could you imagine this playing in Valdosta? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, it would be there for five seconds and then they burned down the theater. <laughs> That's not what they did. They I think I saw it at the LaFont Terra on uh, La Vista and Cheshire. Shocker wow. in eighty eight. Um in, at the kind of the end sort of of the ghetto there <laughs> on Cheshire Bridge. But uh, that's where I saw it, and it was um, an interesting experience. And we, before we quit the cast, we have to talk about uh, the mother uh, in this case, oh, and Bancroft, Anne, Anne Bancroft oh, in the movie. Wow, so good. But, but in the play, it was Estelle Getty who would later give the world Sophia Petrillo nice. in uh, the Golden Girls. Nice. And in the play version, the mom does not show up until the last act. And in the movie, they they peppered Bancroft in throughout the whole movie is kind of the through line of the mother son relationship. They had to kind of, they didn't want her to just show up blaring because she can be a little, that mother character is a challenge to get right because it it is such a, uh, a challenging role to be truthful to the character and not come off a complete and utter hateful character. And a stereotype of a Jewish mother, right? Of a Jewish mom. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I know. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that, Mike. How, how did, did do you have any flashbacks during this movie? Actually, not my mother, my grandmother, oh, more, okay. more so. And so, but that's a whole. Ge- it's pretty much a generation mm-hmm. that was a lot more closed-minded and not very open mm-hmm. and very set in their ways. My parents were very, very open, and they. Your grandmother they, is probably more this this character's age, though, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Because, you know. Well, definitely in the last act, I would say. Right? No, oh, yeah, yeah. no, throughout the whole, you know, the stages in the 1950s oh, okay. and gotcha. everything. Yeah, because you have to think about it. My dad was born in 1943. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah it w- so would have been right, pr- the, right, right about the same time. The, exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, him, my dad and, you know, Harvey are not that far age-wise apart. Yeah. yeah. It, it's really like. 
Okay, yeah. So if I hadn't said it already, this is my first time wa- uh, watching it. And and for those, we I don't know if we said it yet in the show, but for those people listening, we are going to spoil the heck out of it. So as far as uh, scenes and the ending and all that kind of Get stuff. Get over it. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, the movie was... The movie was filmed and released in the in the late eighties, and of course, mm-hmm. it takes place. Uh, well, originally it was written in eighty one, or originally debuted in eighty one, and and it's written in the late seventies or whatever. And it takes place mm-hmm. mostly then, and so it's it's a very different feeling because the movies, the events of the movie take place before really the huge like outbreak of AIDS, and the movie comes out during that time, and mm-hmm. so there are definite like. When when so I'm so used to because a lot of the movies that we've seen um, uh, regarding you know this segment and this particular topic have had to do with the dark cloud of AIDS overhead. Um, mm-hmm. This movie kind of has it, but because um, right at the beginning when it starts off in a huge graveyard, I'm like, oh, this is not going to bode well for this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, what, is this going to be a rough time? But it it it's 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 sad in a way how hopeful the movie is the way it ends and knowing what's about to happen. Knowing what's about to happen is the kicker. Yeah. Because, because I'm sure when it was first released, it was not a kicker, right? No, it was very hopeful. Yeah. Well, when it, when it came out, well, one, I mean, Harvey got panned by the community for this movie because uh, people felt like you want us to give up our lifestyle. You want us to be married like straight people. You want us to settle down and have kids, blah, blah, blah. And Harvey says himself, that he never wanted those things for himself, but what he wanted was equality for the community. Mm-hmm. And so if, if straight people view this as what is quote unquote normal, then gay people need to be able to have that kind of normal as well. And he, he has said it before that news people, when they go out to pride, they are filming the drag queens. They're filming the leather guys. They're filming the the big butch lesbians on the bikes. They're not looking at that family of four walking through the park because it's not controversial. It's not uh, titillating to well, an audience. Well, in some ways, it is more controversial well, than the than the the one the yeah, percent or few percent <laughs> of like the the entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. Well, exactly because they don't want to admit that these people could be right next to right you. next to you. Yep. That's the beauty about being gay. We can move freely among you. Woo. Exactly, you don't wear a uh, bad so chain. You know, scary. You know, um, but yeah, the obviously there's um, you see a back room scene. Back rooms exist in gay life that's where you would go to have um anonymous sex with whomever because um and people forget about this you could be evicted if your landlord thought you were gay that's why there was people like oh my god the gays are having sex in the streets yes because they couldn't have sex in their own homes well look at that one lady who had the the shop owner you know Uh when they were trying on dresses and stuff (laughs) do you have this in a size 16 (laughs) No Ken Page. She does not have that in a size 16. <laughs> and that um, Murray is played by Ken Page, who's also Broadway royalty. He he played one of the um, roles in Ain't Misbehaven. Ah. And he has been um, Old Deuteronomy and Cats in the 1998 movie version of the Broadway play. Okay, not I thought he that, was familiar. Yeah. Not that new one. Um, so you've, you've seen him around before, I'm sure. And of course, we got Charles Pierce as Bertha Venetian. Uh, her her drag name is a uh, wink to the old uh, film Birth of a Nation mm-hmm. um, by D.W. Griffith, and that's a, that's a deep film cut right there. You know, full of all and sorts then, of issues. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All sorts of issues right there. But he goes into, does his Betty, um, I almost say Betty White, uh, Betty, Betty Davis, Davis routine and all that jazz. So yeah, I mean, it's, you see what these guys are doing. Like every night they, they finish and they go out to the bars and Arnold's not really a fan of going out to the bars. And they talk about how, you know, I never have sex with someone I know. Um, you know it's like, how, how dare I, how would I? So you can see at the end of the film when it ends in 1980, you know, what's coming. Right. Oh, you know man. what's coming. And it's like, what are the odds that Arnold or Ed or David yep. is Robert. positive? Yeah. You know, and and I, I actually watched uh, the Siskel and Ebert review of this, and Siskel was complaining that there wasn't any AIDS in it. Um, and I'm like, it happens before that happened. I think I think he was just conditioned to the fact, oh, it's a gay, it's a gay thing. There, where's the AIDS talk? Um, if you look at the dates <laughs> and the timeline, it's pretty tight. This ends in 1980. Well, and, and that I, was just on the cusp of us hearing about the gay cancer. And I know? think it is very telling. Like I said, it, I think it is like you know, I, at the time when it, when the movie was made, everybody was aware of it. So yes, oh, yeah. they're gonna when the when the when it ends, you're like, oh crap, look at what they're gonna have to deal with. And it's so it, you know, it, not that they're out of it by any means by the end of the movie, but it's like mm-hmm. he's in a much better place, and it's like, oh, things are about to get rougher for you. Just like they never could have predicted. That, um, you know, once, um, uh, is it, uh, David, right? Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, um, Matthew Broder character. No, no. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Matthew Broder character. Oh, um, Alan. Alan. Right. So, um, after he's beaten to death, which is a yeah. horrifying thing, um, and probably just the absolute, like most intense part of this movie, um, he gets, you know, carried off into an ambulance. Um, and we're like, oh crap, that just happened. Um, mm-hmm. that's like, you're, you're, it's a gut punch, but then, you know, un- <laughs> that's an unfortunate thing, but the filmmaker chooses like to, to dissolve into the next day, a shot of the twin towers. And you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. you guys have no idea how much of a one, two gut punch this is now. Yeah. No, now. exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now it's like, oh. I mean, I'm laughing, oh. but it's, it wasn't funny. It was just like, oh, it was more of an uncomfortable laughter because mm-hmm. it was like, oh, guys, you yeah, like, you just made that 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 punch like ten times worse now. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, Alan being killed um, again. The trope, bury your gaze, um, exists right there, and uh, Alan being killed as being a bashed um, guy in a you know a playground trying to save another gay man from being killed um, while everybody else is running away. Oh yeah. I, I think he ran right into it. He yeah. you know, threw the groceries down and, yeah. and it was their first night in the apartment too. Yep. And I, I think that spoke to his naivete, but also his courage. I mean, I think Alan was the, the one character, he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he was definitely someone who took action when he saw that something needed to be done. He also was, though. I mean, he's also a, a model, and I think he, oh, yeah. he's a he's a guy who. I mean, not to put too much on him, but I got the feeling that he kind of believes his own like heroic in, life self, his own invulnerability. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like I'm Superman, you know. Like I can't, mm-hmm. like you know, I'm going to swoop in and and save, you know, because I certainly feel like he kind of felt that way about um, Arnold's character. Yeah, like, maybe. I, like, cause, mm-hmm. I mean, when they when they when he first meets him. 
Arnold is being abused by the two guys that are sitting at his table. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he fi- kind of feels like uh, he uh, owes. And because Arnold, you know, helps him out after he passes out from being drunk, mm-hmm. um, you know, he kind of feels like he owes him and, and needs to repay the favor and needs to sort of save him in some ways. Yeah, maybe, or maybe he just fell in love because someone actually showed some caring to him. Like yeah. he said, he sh- he showed up in New York at 15, which meant I'm going to be a prostitute now. And I know that. Right. 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 So, and, and he knew that. And so he was looking for someone who didn't want just sex from him. And Arnold definitely was someone who wasn't looking for just sex from someone. And that's what drove him apart from Ed. Yep. You know, I mean, Ed, Ed being a bisexual, I, I think Arnold was kind of stupid about Oh, I see other. I see women. I date women. I'm a bisexual. Ed was very forthright about it, and Arnold's like, "I thought you meant ants, your mother." <laughs> no, he <laughs> clearly did not say that to you. I think you're being a little harsh on Ed there. They were so not on the same page. No, no. not at all. No. It took them uh, ten years to get on, kind of, sort of, on the same page. Kind of and when Arnold says, "I just kicked my mother out of my house because all <laughs> she wanted was not to talk about it." Do you think I'm going to ask anything less of you? And that, uh, ooh, that's a gut punch right there. Oh, you can't it was. hide anymore from this in the, the closet. The you're thir- either out or you're not. The third act is one gut punch after another uh-huh. after another. Oh, that scene at the graveyard when he started to re- recite the mourner's cottage for yeah. Alan, that was so heartbreaking. She so didn't get it. And yeah. I, I just wanted to scream at her. Yep. And everything. It was just like Well that's that that's the thing that uh gay people have been hearing from straight people for years is that our relationships aren't the same as straight relationships. How right. dare we say that we are I guess worthy of the same type of respect and mutual admiration of a relationship, whether whether that relationship lasted a day, a week, a month, a year, thirty five years. It doesn't matter. If you're in love, you're in love. And and that's where it is right no but, totally but she spoke for every person in middle middle america who was who voted against gay marriage rights in uh the 2000s to get uh bush jr elected a second time and that that's where we were i mean this was kind of radical at the time this came out in 1980 it was very radical in 88 it was a little less radical because aids had kind of aids forced people to i don't want to say grow up but they force them to mature and realize that you can't go out to the bars every night, get drunk and have sex with whoever you want to. Mm-hmm. That, that life is over. Yeah. The back so rooms are closed. The back rooms are closed. The bathhouses are closed. So you're going to have to actually make meaningful connections with people and form relationships. If you want to have sex again, I think, and also- that's, that's a serious thing. Yeah, and I think also this movie kind of explores the two of the effect of like, why, I mean, it wasn't just a case of we can't have sex in our apartments, so that's why we're doing all this random sex mm-hmm. uh, in public kind of thing. It's more like we don't want to get attached because, quite frankly, it's heartbreaking. There's there's yeah. not a lot of future in it because because people won't accept, um, um, you know, we can't just get married and settle down like like quote unquote normal people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's the point? Like, just, so, I mean, it just seems like, like long-term relationships are not encouraged, not because 
we don't want them. It's just because it's too heartbreaking when we do get them because of the way the outside treats us. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's hard to be 50 and have a roommate. Yeah. Oh, sure. Right. So how do you, how do you carry off this other person living with you for the past 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, seven years is a common law marriage. What what are you doing here? When when is one of you guys going to find a nice girl and move out, right? When, and and that becomes the conversation over and over and over again, and it gets exhausting. And that that's when Arnold broke down to his mom and said, "If we're going to have a relationship, I'm not going to edit the parts of my life out that you don't like." And she's like, "Well, if that's all it was, you could leave it in there, pointing to the bedroom where it belongs." But that's a very heterosexual way of looking at the world. Well, that's you, uh, that era, that generation, though, that's where totally. they kept sex. They didn't well, have it out, you know, in public. But that, that's not the thing, Mike. The, the, the thing is society tells you you have to be straight. No, of course. Straight, straightness is being projected to everybody all the time. Just turn on the TV, turn on the radio. It's always husbands, wives, kids, blah, blah, blah. Straight people don't keep sex in the bedroom. <laughs> Uh, every time someone says, look at my new daughter or whatever, I'm like, oh, you, you had sex. Congratulations. <laughs> because that's what happened there. Or you adopted because someone else had sex to create a new person. It's beautiful that you have another person. But don't tell me straight people don't talk about sex all the time. They're not talking about it in graphic terms. But just the very construct of a family implies sex. Oh, of course. And, and that's what happens everyone. So when when you introduce gay sex into that equation, suddenly everybody gets offended because they can never imagine themselves doing those acts. Just like gay people can't imagine themselves doing straight sex. It's, it works the same way, but we're just inundated with this other world that we're not a part of it and was, are not going to be a part of. It was interesting with this movie because sexually, this the gay sex wasn't thrown in your face like some movies. Mm-mm. And it was very subtle. You know, the closest thing to do it was when he, um, he went to paradise. Well, <laughs> the backroom scene? Yes. That that actually has a monologue in the play while the guy is doing his business behind him, while Arnold is holding the beer. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, so do you want to go out and date sometime? I really like this pizza place. He's, he's talking about trying to chat this guy up in order to get a date, and this guy only cares about fucking him. And that's it. Arnold wanted different things than these anonymous, you know, parts wanted. And I'm not judging that. I'm just saying that these are what the, this is what Arnold wanted. These are what these guys wanted in the back room. And I think well, you don't go to the back room to, to chat. No, no, no. Well, that's not what the back room is for. Clearly that was not Arnold's, you know, right. Safe space. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You know, he, he, he just was like, really horny on his birthday and got let down, just broke up with a boyfriend for God knows how long. And he was, he was also really drunk, very drunk, drunk, <laughs> drunk helps a lot. Doesn't it? When you're making bad choices. <laughs> I, uh, there were many times in this, especially, um, you know, we mentioned the scene between Arnold and his mother, uh, you know, the third act where they're just going at it. And there's a lot of things in there where I was thinking, uh wow this is uh this is an argument these are discussions that we're still having all these years later 
um and and on all of that but the one thing the the one time where i i was like wow that we've made some progress in this uh is when um alan asks arnold to marry him mm-hmm. and uh, you know for 1981 1988 even that i mean arnold's reaction is is like kind of ours in the audience like what like that could actually happen um and it's so it must be so nice to know that at least we progressed uh, enough that that is no longer like a a weird fantasy yeah it's it's not a weird thing to hear anymore right because right. gay people are getting married all the time but back yes. then yeah illegal completely illegal to get married i don't know why they even uh brought up the fact of trying to get married i'm sure it was going to be a, a nice well, it was a nice romantic between themselves it was a nice yeah. romantic gesture right and i don't exactly. know if he meant actually ceremony but at least in terms of uh, in terms of internally like the way they would look at each other and view yeah. each other they would view it as a as and a possibly marriage and, get and name and, changed and and, you know? and get a child you know yeah and get their name and being able to adopt a gay kid yeah that's radical one a kid coming out that young at that point in time that that's pretty radical nowadays it's no big it's not that radical it happens a lot but for a kid in the 80s to be out and gay at 15 that's that was kind of crazy that's kind of off the hook and probably so. you know he, david was probably having a lot of trouble finding a home because he was gay yeah probably and, and kept that's why on, he was going the on system. the streets yeah yeah I, I, going it, to the streets i mean obviously there's that there's that time jump and so you're not really sure if alan is still alive or mm-hmm. what's going on there and so it's really surprised uh, it's 10 see, months later right to see arnold there and to yeah. see david there and then of course to see uh ed there as well um i know but, judy um, when that scene started judy was like where's alan what the hell yeah. is going on where where is alan what's but, ed what's, kinda, ed, what's ed doing there but you know? i'm like when, you know, when murray says it you're like oh yes yeah because yeah. it's it's you about know. five or ten minutes in where you'd mm-hmm. like they they finally say that and it's like oh man that's you know that sucks and and not that you're surprised it's just like yeah that's unfortunate um and you're kind of surprised that arnold would still go through with the adoption but on the other hand it, it's not only um doing that because alan wanted it but also i think in in david alan see uh, arnold sees alan like if I don't take care of this, this boy, the same things that happened to mm-hmm. Alan when he was younger are probably going to happen to him. Yep. It was a commitment that they made. So he solved the commitment through. And I, I do kind of question Arnold on a few things, like why he wouldn't have corrected his mom on the phone <laughs> about the things that she assumed and were not, was not correct. Um, given how demanding he is of everyone else in in his life to be out and open and, and honest about everything. Yeah. But I also, I also get it because she's a difficult person to deal with. And uh, <laughs> I kind of can say, okay, over there, over there with that. Everyone, especially on everyone the phone. gets a get out of jail. Card especially on the phone. There. Like, how do you tell anybody, but your mom or whatever, how do you tell anybody you lost your lover who was beaten to death because of his sexual orientation? Because he was gay. Right. Yeah. And like, how do you tell how do you tell that to someone over the phone? Like, I, 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 you know, I get it, even though, I mean, that's, that's what she's the most upset about. And quite rightly so mm-hmm. is that he's, he's, he's been lying to her. Yep. And you can't blame her for being no. mad about that. You, you can't, she, I think she had a valid point of, you can't, I mean, you are editing your life already. So, and then you blame me for not knowing the things that you're editing, you know, 
Oh but, yeah, but you the, know the scene when you know she got off the bus and David met her in the street and he just picked up her suitcase. She thought she was being robbed. Maga, Maga. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Oh, Empire and Croft is so Real wonderful. people know you live here. <laughs> She's so wonderful. She carries not only that stuff off, but of course all the scenes where they're arguing and the whole third act. And then at the end, when she's getting in the cab and just looks up at him and blows him a kiss, yep. I'm just like, I mean, Anne Bancroft is amazing. Like, she yeah, just, you don't you don't get to see that interaction in the play. She just leaves. He's so. just she's like going, it's all right, you know. Like, yeah, it's all mm-hmm. right. We're good. Oh, We're and good. that scene was heartbreaking when she just disappeared, you know, mm-hmm. from the apartment, and mm-hmm. he had to go run. He like looked for her, and then he looked out the window, and she was getting into the cab. That yep. was just like, oh, you bitch! No, <laughs> no. See, I didn't think that when she's getting in the cab and she blows him a kiss, I was thinking everything's okay. She's not like I didn't think. I mean, I was worried when she disappeared. But by the time he sees her get in the cab and she looks at him and smiles and blows him a kiss, I'm thinking, see, they're all good. They're good. I, I, th- I think it's more of we're just going to have to agree to disagree on exactly. Things. That's what I was thinking. You know, too. because mom, mom says it. She's like, she's too old. She's too old to change. She can't. She's tried. She can't. No. So I think I to me, I think it was just I'm too old. I'm just leaving you goodbye yeah. type thing. Mm-hmm. And you live your life. I'm going to live the rest of my life. That's, yep. That's the way I felt with it. Which which makes it even worse knowing that 1981 and 82 and 83 and 84 are coming, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because that may be the last time she sees Arnold or David or Ed or whomever. Mm-hmm. And Murray, who went to the International Stud Bar all the time, is certainly probably on that list. Oh, gosh, yes. You know? So it this movie is, is important because it is that slice of life right before the AIDS plague happens. And it, it's nice to have a gay movie that's modern and well, modern 40 years ago, uh, <laughs> but without having the, 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 um, the AIDS specter hanging over it all the time. And that right. being the main through line, because a lot of play, a lot of movies and plays after this, it's all about HIV and AIDS for a good 25, 30 years with gay characters or else there's no reason for them to be there. They're the funny gay friend. Or they are sexless eunuchs dancing in the background for your amusement or whatever. Like Will and Grace. You know, they never had sex. Will never had sex. Jack always had sex off screen. They always had boyfriends, but there was never any implied sex. And I know it's a sitcom, but Grace was getting laid all the time. Uh, so we'll analyze that later when we get to TV because that's <laughs> that's funny. But um, it, it's nice to have a modernish gay movie that is basically about guys just trying to get through life and deal with their sexuality and deal with the closet and deal with, um, you know, getting beaten up, having friends be killed for being gay and, and all the other stuff that happens as part of being a gay person in this life. It's not an easy life. Although it looks from the outside, look at all the, look at all the makeup and the, and the sequins and everything they're putting on the clubs. Isn't that fun? And then you you peel back the the other side of it, and it's like, ooh, yeah, this is kind of you got to be tough to be gay. <laughs> That's what it is, and if you're not, you're not going to make it. Absolutely tough and smart. Yeah, or Agreed. it's going to be very rare that you're going to yep. make it. And uh, you know, uh, fortunately, 
Harvey Firestein is one of those rare exceptions. And, oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, Harvey. We, we, we have to talk in, about, about Harvey. And, sure, and, Uncle and, Harvey, yeah, <laughs> as yeah, I like it, to call it. It, 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 it. Now, I would is that sort of his sort of, you know, status in the, in the gay community? Like he's, a, he's, your, he's your uncle? I would say he's definitely an elder statesman currently. Right. Yep. Um, he definitely has that status in the community of when he has something to say, people do listen to him and they do give him a lot of, um, you know, credit for getting us to places where we didn't think we were going to be. He was an act up obviously in the eighties um, as everyone, you know, cause he was, He's famous for doing Broadway more than anything else. Mm. So Har- Harvey was part of that Broadway group who saw all their compatriots falling one by one. Court Miller, who played Arnold Beckoff, passed away from AIDS mm. during the first run. He got, he got Kaprosi's sarcoma lesions and even asked the cast, what is this? And they were like, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's just a rash, you know? Uh, and then before, before you know it, they were plunged right into it. Yep, that's why Estelle Getty did so many AIDS fundraisers. Once she got all that fame for being Sophia, she raised so much money for HIV and AIDS prevention hmm. because she saw the New York theater community suffering from it. Right, and it's just Har- Harvey's legacy, um, such as it is right now, is going to be camp it's going to be fun it's going to be plays that make you think and also make you laugh and also make you go well that's very realistic for the time that was in but it's also a challenging thing because you see guys who still want to have that i'm going to sleep with whoever i want to life right um i don't want to settle down with somebody and that's fine you don't have to but not to not to be a slut shamer here but i think harvey's saying our connections are what is more important than just having an orgasm um, in a back room and i i completely believe there is a place for an orgasm in a back room and there's a place for relationships as well and it's finding a balance right where you're not doing all of one thing all the time and and they also brought up open relationships in this movie because harvey was like I, to, arnold said to alan i want you to, to feel like you can see other men and alan yells back i i do and i did so what's the problem you know when he and uh Ed had sex in the yeah. in the barn. So are we are we having a double standard here? Or are we not ready for that kind of an open relationship? What's going on? So it this movie and the play, it's an important touchstone to the gay community because of it unveils a realistic portrayal of a gay man who never had to come out. Like mom says, I knew Arnold. I knew. You know, it's like it was obvious. We all knew. Oh, from the very first scene, though, mm-hmm. with the uh, in the, the closet. makeup and the dress in the closet. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. playing with, dress up. Yeah, exactly. and you can tell that she knows. Oh, totally. She's like, she she's like, what are you? Oh, so this was not a painful coming out story. This was not um, a painful person dying of AIDS story. Um, it does have the the gay bashing in it. Yeah, it does. That was a reality in the 70s and still goes on today. Um, this was more about the slice of life of what these characters deal with on a day-to-day. It wasn't anything fantastic, but it is reality. As, as close to reality as plays can get without being too woohoo, 
You know, it's not angels in America, right? There's, there's oh, no, definitely not. Yeah, you know, there's no yeah. angels coming to visit Arnold to say you're a bad Jewish boy. Stop being gay, or your mother's going to kill you. You know, uh, <laughs> none of that's happening. The right? angels wouldn't come to a Jewish person anyway. But See, that's a whole different go. story. That's a whole other thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I think Harvey's legacy is going to be one of one of the first true open voices for LGBT people um, in entertainment. There are plenty of gay people before him. Plenty of gay people after him, but he was the first who was out of the closet openly and proudly. Mm-hmm. And he was such a um, you know crossover into a lot of mass media. I mean, appearing mm-hmm. on Cheers and other sitcoms, yep. as being in Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh yeah, and, a lot of people uh, know him from Independence Day. Yep, Independence, Independence Day, Day, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, he he uh, you know definitely like you said, becomes a spokesperson for the community and, and, and one that the media is very comfortable to go to first, right? Like if they have mm-hmm. a question or if they want to get a comment about some sort of issue or whatever, um, usually, I mean, he's probably like on their, like, you know, um, uh, their, their top list of people to, to reach out to. Oh for. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would say so. Especially if it affected the entertainment world yes. or um, some kind of a, um, I remember when uh, Russia was starting to ban gay people and Harvey put a call and don't have Russia vodka in your bars. Other places make vodka. You can buy other vodka. Don't don't buy Russia vodka, Russian vodka because they were basically saying all gay people will be arrested when they come to Russia. It was like it was right before the Olympics that occurred there that year. Wow. So, uh, yeah, Harvey's got a Harvey's got a great. um <laughs> A great bunch of of uh, stuff, and he actually wrote a uh, a play called Safe Sex. Obviously, this is about <laughs> AIDS. Well, he, he wrote he wrote one after, obviously, Torch Song, and he's got a character on it who went to the International Stud Bar and now is dying of HIV. And he's got what are what are the five stages again? Um, anger, bargaining. <laughs> you know, he goes to the list and he says, "Stand back, because I've got my own five stages." Um, um, camp flippancy sentimentality sarcasm and smut <laughs> they got me through life they will see me through death <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's pretty much the gay five stages of acceptance right there <laughs> it's just that simple and I, I wish more people would pay attention to harvey's other work that is not as promoted as this is but i also know there's a lot of stuff to uh ingest right now across the across the world and harvey most of his stuff is in new york and not a lot of people can afford to go to New York to watch a play or, or, you know, see a play of his because it's it's very difficult to, you know, put up a gay play not outside of a major metropolitan area and have it be successful. So no one will put up a play like that. What uh, what would you say are other Harvey Firestein things that people should check out? Movies, well, or I, whatever. I, I would say Hairspray Live is something that probably people have access to. He played Edna Turnblad. He was the original Edna on Broadway. Of course, um, Divine originated that role in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's all based on John Waters, but Harvey plays Edna fabulously in Hairspray Live. Um, It's definitely a different take from Travolta's Edna, and I encourage you to look at it and then compare the two and tell me how much Harvey is is better (laughs) than Travolta. Oh, Um, well, exactly. Um, Harvey has a CD out. Uh, it's called uh, This Is Not Going to Be Pretty. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's referring to him, but it's definitely a slice of life political 
um, cabaret show in which he um, takes on the Secret Service at the very beginning because they wanted to know if gay people were going to be at an event. If so, they needed to wear um, latex gloves because they didn't want to touch any gay people. That's, yeah, let that bomb hit. He comes out, he sings a song, and then he takes off the gloves. Sorry, better safe than sorry, just in case any Secret Service are here. You know, don't want to touch them. So I, I think Harvey's done a lot for our community, and um, his voice is distinctive, <laughs> that gravelly voice. Um, he's also, um, he and Cindy Lauper worked together to create the book and music of uh, Kinky Boots, which is another uh, play that has gotten rave reviews. And of course, he helped write La Cage à Faux on Broadway, which got him his first Tony Award. Mm-hmm. So uh, the man's been around for a while. He's been working successfully for a while. And he has and not slowed down. No. No, it says, no. Uh, nope. I looked it up to see what he was doing now. He's working on a revised book for uh, Funny Girl, which is going to be oh, there you go. Uh, the official Broadway revival of Funny Girl. <laughs> Don't tell Barbara. Don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's funny. She, and might, then- she might try to reprise the role. And it's like, no, no, girl, not grandma girl not grandma <laughs> and apparently he's also uh pretty ecstatic because i guess one of the most uh, searched uh in google or whatever the most one of the most searched 90s movies uh is um mrs doubtfire which of course mm-hmm. is, so uh, matchmaker so, matchmaker make me a match he's like look at me <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh he's the uh makeup artist in uh mrs doubtfire along with his partner slash I, I, I'm assuming they are partners there. They they seem to be closer than just makeup artist friends. I think they're definitely lovers or whatever. Although that's not, again, another another relationship where it's coded and you have to figure out what exactly is going on between those two because it's never, it's never expressed. Mm-hmm. You just know that Harvey and Robin are brothers in the movie and you don't know what the skinny guy's job is, but I'm assuming skinny guy is Harvey's partner. significant other partner, yeah. you know? Never explained, but there it is. Especially when he looks at Robin Williams' face, like, I think it's time to go to latex. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> no, though, it was, he's done such great things, and mm-hmm. he, he, was a nice as, he was a nice enough person when I met him, so it was pretty awesome. Oh, yay! I'm one degree separated. Nice. Yes. <laughs> you are. You are. I met him in Seattle. Gosh, probably 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we, he was doing Fiddler. Ah, and yeah. he was he was Tevia. And I saw him across the street from the theater at the mall that that's there, Pacific Place, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's where the monorail lands. And William ah. and I were there because we were taking the monorail that day. And right in front of us on the escalator was Harvey. Mm-hmm. And so I I said hi, and I introduced him to William. William was what two and a half at the time. So oh, geez, yeah. So so it was awesome. And so I imagine William being scared of Harvey Firestein. Well, yeah, he had the big beard because he was. Tevia. Oh yeah, he's Tevia, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. And so I, and I just said thank you for everything you've done. And he said yeah. he he seemed touched. And he said thank you. You're welcome. You know. Like, well, he doesn't get recognized a lot because you really have to go find 
his filmography. People will say, I know him from somewhere. Right. Right. Well, at the well, time, you, you got to know that voice. Oh, yeah. You know the voice. You but know if, the voice. If he's not talking, you know, and he's just over in a corner, you're like, I know that guy from somewhere. I've seen him somewhere. And people say, you probably saw him in the background of a movie. Yeah, you probably did. I mean, he died in a fiery explosion in Independence Day. So, um, <laughs> uh, seen him I got to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you've seen him before, and uh, Harvey does not, in my opinion, get enough credit for all the hard work he's done for the gay community over years. We owe him and so many of the other guys in the 80s and 90s who uh, were in the real trenches to do the hard work to to get um, some respect and some rights for uh, the AIDS victims at the height of the pandemic, then um, the support that they needed from the government. And uh Yeah. It was a it was a hard road to hoe, and I salute him every chance I get. Mm-hmm. Totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, he, was, is uh, one of, he was one of our daddies, uh, oh, Harvey. Yeah. I definitely. I mean, I think this movie in and of it, it, itself is a true testament to him and uh, and everything he's done. And and uh, for the you know um you know seeing it on on uh, as a film as opposed to seeing it on stage. I to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad it wasn't four hours long. <laughs> Yeah, like the stage, the stage play is like four hours long, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and and I did have like I was like I don't I mean the trilogy aspect of the name is kind of misleading, but um I mean it, it works in the movie somewhat, although they don't really make that hard distinction as far as Act One, Act Two, Act no, Three. You but gotta figure it out. You yeah. can yeah, you use your brain and you can figure it out, but uh, um it is still um you know for those people out there who have HBO Max and they're using it to watch like you know uh godzilla versus kong and all that like pull this up as well like this is not uh, a bad uh, movie to watch and 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 as we pointed out it's not like you know there's some intensity and there's some drama there but it's not like this sort of impending doom like um you know as as eloquently and as poetic as angels in america is it, it's this is not that <laughs> right no, this no. is as accessible as as i said as, as a neil as simon play yeah. or as a woody allen movie right and it's not graphic I mean, no. it's, it's got that one scene in the back room, but you don't see any nudity. Yeah, I don't. Um, is it R? It's more, it, it is an R, I believe, because of the content uh, when it right, was released. Because of the subject matter, yeah. Yep. Um, but it's also, there's there's hardly any cursing in it. Right. There's a, there's one scene of violence in it. I think there's one F-bomb. Well, maybe. I yeah. thought it was really well done, though, because they didn't show Matthew Broderick getting hit with the baseball no. bat. No. Nope, they didn't. Yeah, yep. They didn't need to see that. No. Don't worry. We, uh, got it. We, got it. we got the point. There's something coming up in which we will see someone get hit with a baseball bat. And trust me, it does not. Oh, great. Yeah. It is hard to watch. Ah, even to this day. So, But we're it won't be the it. next thing we're going to do. We're so. watching The Untouchables? Awesome. No, we're not watching The Untouchables. <laughs> I was going to say, some sort of Scorsese movie. <laughs> no. Uh, who knew? Mm, no, no. <laughs> I don't think I ever need to see a Scorsese gay film. I don't think I ever need to see that. Uh, yeah, that would be weird. So Very, very bizarre. Some people should stay away from our community. I think Scorsese's probably one of them. <laughs> Honestly. Probably. Yeah, well, that's, I mean. He's very good at what he does, but that's not what we do. So <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need to see gay gangsters in a movie. Thank you. I'd oh, I'm funny how? Funny ha ha? Uh, I'm amusing to you, am I? Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah go see uh torch song trilogy if you happen to be in new york it's actually um i think it may still be running once 
Broadway or off Broadway reopens is called Torch Song now, not Torch Song Trilogy. Mm. They shortened it. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so uh, Michael Yuri was in it before. Um, I think this is pre-pandemic, so I don't know if it'll be up again. Yeah, I think uh, Mercedes Poole so. was the uh, was the, mom. the mom. So that's mm-hmm. that. That would be. A, I would love to see that. That would be fun too. And remember, when you get to the theater, just ask for Virginia Ham. Virginia Ham. Virginia mm-hmm. Ham. It's nice, said, the, it's nice for the Jewish guy to be. If, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever did drag, my name was going to be Antebellum. So. That is awesome. That was awesome, Darren. Thank you so, so much for this one. This is a great one to watch. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. We had to come off of Angels and get into reality again. So here you go. So what's the next one we're doing? We're going to do Birdcage. Awesome. Which which has got some ties to Harvey. Totally. We're going to see Robin Williams and uh, Nathan Nathan Lane, Lane, Diane Wiest, and Gene Hackman. And that'll be fun for everybody. Oh, yeah. All the way across the board. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. And we have a friend in the creative outlet. And we're done. everybody, Michelle here with an Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Swedish House Mafia are busy. Uh, They have an album called Paradise Again that's expected before the end of the year. They and The Weeknd are teasing a collaboration on a song on their respective social media accounts. And they're teaming up with Ikea on a home collection that will be out in September of next year designed to, quote, make it easier to get into a creative flow for producing, playing, and listening to music at home sounds fantastic. I just hope that it works better than my attempt to get a lawn chair from Ikea this year. The Rolling Stones have announced that on their upcoming tour dates, they will play a video montage to honor Charlie Watts, who of course passed away last month. Also, a black version of their iconic tongue logo will be projected onto screens all around the arenas that they play and will also feature on their tour merchandise. And speaking of memorials, the city of Pasadena, California, has approved a memorial to be created. It'll likely be a plaque to Eddie Van Halen to be placed outside the Pasadena Civic Auditorium, which is where Van Halen played a lot of their early shows. They're hoping that it will be in place by the anniversary of Eddie's passing, which is already coming up on October 6th. And Faith No More was scheduled to tour for the first time in five years, but they are having to cancel their remaining September dates and their October shows so that lead singer Mike Patton can address some mental health issues. This will also affect shows by Mr. Bungle. They wrote on their social media that they were doing great in rehearsal, they were ready to go, they were heartbroken to have to tell their crew this because it keeps their crew out of work longer. But we, quote, have a family member that needs help. We believe that forging ahead with these dates would have had a profoundly destructive effect on Mike, whose value to us as a brother means more to us than his job as a singer. He can count on our 100% support to do what he needs to do to get things right, just as we also ask for your support right now. So here's hoping that Mike can get to a place where he's okay and uh, the band can go out again. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show Moment, and we'll catch you next time. Welcome to Dr. Geek's 
Laboratory. Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Welcome back. Now it's time for the Creative Outlet segment. And we're here with old friend of the show, James Palmer, who has been missing from the show for quite some time. Welcome back, my friend. Hey, Mike and Mike. It's good to be back aboard the station. Howdy. You got an author, You got a Kickstarter going on. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Sure. It's called The Complete Monster Earth. Um, what I'm doing is a omnibus edition of all three anthologies in my Monster Earth uh, anthology series. It's an uh, alternative history uh, Cold War giant monster um, anthology with a lot of great writers. Um, it makes up the books Monster Earth, Betrayal on Monster Earth, and War for Monster Earth. Um, it's up to 38 backers now. And it's uh, reached its funding goal, and and then some. It's up at it's at twenty three, uh, two thousand three hundred forty seven dollars, uh, with eleven days still to go, and one more stretch goal left to go. Um, we've got some cool rewards. We've got um, uh, print and hardcover books. I've got t shirts, a limited edition poster, and a kaiju card game, as well as some uh, cool. And you can get that stuff as add ons as well. That is awesome, man. That is really awesome. So how much longer does the Kickstarter have? Because we're recording this as of the 20th of September. It's got 11 days to go. Okay, so let's go out in three days. So you'll have about a week, folks. Yeah. So you're ending right before October 1st or so. Exactly. It's going to end on um, 11.59 p.m. October 1st, I believe. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. That's and we like day. to remind people that, uh, you know, just because it's met its goal doesn't mean it's over. Uh, if you want to get a reserve, make sure you get a copy of this, plus all the rewards that uh, some of which are limited. Uh, you want to jump on this as soon as you can. Very Absolutely. much so. And James does great work, folks. He does a lot of fun stuff, and his Monster Earth stuff is really enjoyable. So definitely you're in for a treat if you haven't read it before. Thanks. So yeah. Very cool. So you've got yeah. some time. So what's been going on? <laughs> so tell us why you decided to do a Kickstarter and why did you decide to do the anthology like this? Well, you know, I had all, all three books done and I, I still wasn't done with this. I, I think there's some still some places we can go. Um, and I wanted to do a uh, omnibus collecting them all together. In, in one volume, I, th I think that would look really cool on people's shelves. And I thought, well, hey, why not do a Kickstarter? Um, I, you know, I'm experimenting with Kickstarter. I'm, you know, watching a lot of people have success with it, and I just I wanted to see what I could do with it. Um, and uh, you know, I've watched our own Mr. Gordon uh, do some fun stuff with, with his Tiki Zombie Kickstarter. So I just <laughs> I just wanted to join in the fun. It looks like a blast. <laughs> So you just wanted to be like Mike. The got it. Yeah, pretty well, much. Pretty much. Uh, uh, well, I I appreciate that. And I'm, you know, congratulations to us both, right? Uh, it's, I mean, it's I, not it's absolutely. 
it's not easy to uh, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm really amazed at how many folks uh, do not actually make their goal. There's a lot of talented people out there, a lot of competition. So uh, the fact that uh, we were able to, to at least meet our goals and then some is a credit to, I think both of us and the material, like, uh, like Mike was saying, the monster Earth stuff is, is pretty fun. Um, yeah. And it's definitely, you, you definitely have a love for the, the Kaiju type, uh, destruction. I'm not sure where that comes from James, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, I, you know, I, I'm a lifelong fan of, uh, of Godzilla movies. Um, mm. watching those when I was a kid back on the, the Ted Turner Superstation in Atlanta back in the day. Yep, totally understand that. That's pretty cool. No, and, you know, um, once you get past, you know, your goals, are you, do you have rewards and, you know, reward goals and such? Um, yeah, I've, I've got I've got three, uh, three stretch goals, uh, two of which uh, have already been met. Um, one of them is for an original monster short story that I will write, uh, and only backers will get those. Um, if I ever do another collection of my short stories at a, at a future time, it'll it'll go in that. But uh, Kickstarter backers will see that first, um, and then hang on, what are my stretch goals? Let me look them up here. Um, the second stretch goal. Um, is uh every backer at the yeah that's the short story and then hang on now that was my i'm sorry that was my second stretch goal first stretch goal um was a, a free copy of my short story collection into the weird um second stretch goal is uh a, an exclusive short story written just for the campaign and the third stretch goal which hasn't been reached yet uh, if, if it reaches 2500 um, every backer over the $10 level and above will be invited to a, a special Ask Me Anything Zoom call uh, where we can talk about Monster Earth, Kaiju, or just about anything else. They can ask me questions and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to hit, hopefully hitting that stretch goal before the uh, 11 days are out. Yeah. Sure. So, so yep. yeah, that's the goal. Yep. That is pretty darn awesome. So how can people find it real quick? So they can go to... I don't have a shortened link. It's uh, if you just search uh, the complete monster earth, uh, you, you should find it or search my name and find me. Um, but it's kickstarter.com forward slash projects forward slash Kaiju King. The dash complete dash monster dash earth. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> let's go dash. And, uh, and we'll have a link to it in our show notes so that people can just click on that and, and grab it. Yeah. I'll send it, you guys it a link. It won't be as long as, you know, he said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but just, oh. and, and, and I, I've, I've found that just, you know, Googling it, Kickstarter does a really good job of indexing their project pages. So just, if you just Google the complete monster earth, it's right at the top of the, uh, search results. That so sounds very perfect. easy to find. That sounds awesome, man. Well, thanks for joining us, and we're going to have to have you back on the station real soon. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Let's take a break, and let's close up the show after that. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Episode 5 of Marvel's What If, titled Zombies. I think out of all the episodes I, I knew a little bit about from Marvel's What If series, the Zombies episode was the one that I was looking the most forward to. 
I loved the Ultimate Zombies comics and was curious how much they were going to pull from that and then how much they were going to just add in from the Marvel Universe we have now. What we got, in my opinion, was a solid, rather spooky episode that did not disappoint. One of the things that always creeped me out the most about Marvel Zombies was that they weren't the slow, mindless zombies that we see in other movies. No, these zombies have their powers and seem to have some form of their mind as well, which makes them terrifying. The episode follows Bruce Banner, who's just returned to Earth, and what he finds when he arrives is rather terrifying. Most of the Earth has been turned into zombies, including the Avengers. He's saved by Doctor Strange's cape, and then Spider-Man, who takes him to where there are a few other survivors, who are trying to figure out if they can change the world back. We find out that the zombies came from Dr. Pym trying to bring his wife back from the Quantum Realm, but in this world, she had been infected. I won't spoil the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but it is a fun watch and one of the spookier episodes that we've gotten in the one of series, which having a balance of action and other genres is always really, really cool in a series. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. Darren, thank you for letting us watch this movie. It was awesome. <laughs> You're welcome, sir. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, just Legion of Substitute Podcasters.com, where I talk about the Legion of Superheroes goodness from DC Comics. Woohoo! We actually just heard the other day that there's going to be a JLA, JSA versus the Legion of Superheroes book. Versus. What? coming what? out yeah don't don't ask me but i i take it the only reason why they're publishing this is because it'll have batman in it so there you go that's the only reason they publish anything exactly oh, jesus <laughs> i'm assuming legion is just canceled at dc they've never said those words but it's kind of like this is how i equate to Le- the legion's status right now is dad went out for cigarettes Eight years ago. God <laughs> mm, still could come back any time. Any day now. We have his dinner ready every evening at the table. Yeah. Well, Bendis is writing Justice League and he wrote Legion last. So he's going to get to write all of them. So we'll see what happens of it. Mm, okay. I have I have high hopes but low expectations. Yep, and we are also going to talk to you in the next couple of days for the Dragon Con report. I believe we are going to talk about that, sir. Last Excellent. one of the year. Yay. I mean, oh, tarn, you know. <laughs> well, you know. We, we all need to recover. So it, it, it was it was an interesting con. I will say that. It was yeah, very we're going to have lots to discuss. We will talk all about it. <laughs> and, of course, Mr. Mike, thank you as always. And as always, it was my, my pleasure, darling. It's your pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> that is it's cool. It's so tempting to do that now. Yeah, if you keep doing it, Harvey will appear. So, uh, just saying. <laughs> if you do it three thing. times in a row. Yeah, in the mirror. Of course. I, I don't know if that's a... Uh, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. That is awesome. Anything you want to shout out about, my friend? I do. Um, during that whole crazy campaign of mine that I was uh, you know, promoting uh, Kickstarter, there was a uh, 
um, uh, there were three podcasts that I um, appeared on. Uh, I'm sorry, four. Four podcasts four. that I appeared on. I do want to give uh, shout-outs to, and um, uh, three of them were part of the NFC Roadshow, um, and that was Atomic Camaraderie, Critical Blast, and Catch the Craze. And I had a great time on all three shows. There's still all three of those are available on YouTube. They so not only can you hear me, but you can see me on those. Um, and they were a blast to do. Um, I'm hoping that we can get uh, return the favor and have some of those uh, fine guys on our show in the coming weeks, months, etc. And um, the other podcast was Night of the Nerdy Laser podcast with our good friend Richard. Um, he had me on a couple times uh, once to uh, review the movie Return of the Living Dead, which I hadn't seen in a while. And it's a very different experience from seeing Torch Song Trilogy, but yet, uh, nonetheless, <laughs> they were both rather enjoyable for entirely different reasons. Um, but, uh, um, so yeah, I'm going to have links for all three of those in our show notes. So you can check those out. Um, and they were a lot of fun. So I give a lot of props to those guys for having me on. Thank you so much. And, uh, I, um, I, I enjoyed my time with those guys. That is awesome. That is really awesome. Well, my shout out to something's fairly simpler. Uh, basically I appeared on another podcast also, and, <laughs> and I actually was on, general geekery podcast and for those who have listened to the show or don't know about it um jd has recently escaped from the airlock and he has started his own podcast crazy i know and so i was i was very happy to join him and his co-host up on the podcast and we just spent a good hour and a half just talking about all things geek and it was a lot of fun and Anytime they want me back, I would be glad to join them again. And you'll also be able to find a link to their video podcast up on YouTube, and I'll be up in the show notes. And it was a ton of fun. So very cool. So very awesome that we got to talk about Torch Song Trilogy tonight. And I didn't say Torchwood this time, so it was perfect. <laughs> so it'll be a ton of fun. Next week is going to be a little bit different for us also, because next week we are going to be having a gaggle of mics here. We are going to be doing a Michael Miss Holiday special. So anyone who has a name of Michael is welcome to join us for that episode. So if you're interested in joining us, we're going to be talking about all things Mike and just general geekiness and just be a ton of fun. So definitely check us out. We can be found next week, you know, here, same place, same bat channel, as we like to say. Same Mike channel. Same Mike channel. Oh, that's even better. I like <laughs> that. I like that. They'll put a big M in the sky and we'll be all running. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. So it should be a ton of fun. So join us for that. And thanks for listening to Earth Station One Podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Darren Noel, thank you for listening, and we will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe. Hug your loved ones. Please get vaccinated, folks. We will see you soon. Peace. And we're done. Darling. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.